0: Hi, it's Cree Mitchell again, and I'm here, and I want to talk on a segment that I'm calling uh, Flakes, Fakes, and Foolishness, and it's about abuse in churches. Please don't get upset. I'm not calling anybody out. I am a Christian. I was born and raised up in the church. Both my parents were born and raised up in the church. Well, my, uh, my mom's parents and, and my dad's parents were also raised up in the church. So it's not coming from someone who doesn't know about church. My uh, mom's parents, her father was Baptist. Her mother was Baptist in Church of God in Christ. My dad's parents were Methodist, but his mom was African. Methodist AME and his dad was CME Christian Methodist, African Mes- Methodist Episcopal and my grandfather was Christian Methodist Episcopal. Uh, prior to the 1800's the CME was called Colored Methodist and then after the 1800's they changed the C from Colored to Christian and so um, I've been Introduced to a lot of different types of religion in Christianity, not just all Baptist or all Methodist. Like I said, my mom's mother, her half her family was uh, what do you call Pentecostal or Church of God in Christ, Kojic, Cogic, C O G I C, and then half were Baptist, and so therefore coming from the little small area that I came through in the Midwest, a little small town, you went to everybody's church if there was something going on. That's just the way my mother was raised, and so she just automatically thought to keep us out of trouble if there was something happening at the Baptist church, we were there. If something was happening at the Methodist church, we were there. Um, church God in Christ, we were there. I've even gone to Catholic mass with my, my school friends when I was younger. And so you, you just get, makes you a little bit more well-rounded when they were the, the churches that were having uh, vacation Bible school, uh, black and white. Uh, sometimes my mother was cooking at the vocation, the vocation uh, Bible school. She would go there and cook her and a couple of the other ladies. And so as kids were allowed to go there too um, and get the training and, and the teaching. So it's just, I don't consider myself an expert, but I've been open up to a lot of stuff. Because, like I said again, my mother assumed and believed that if you keep a kid in church, they're less likely to get into trouble. I believe that to a certain point, but also what I've discovered is that they can get into more trouble sometimes, even in the church. So we have to keep an eye out even in there. But one of the things that I've noticed through all the years growing up is how we get indoctrinated into certain behaviors that we think are the norm. And I was talking to um, several uh, pastor's wives, and one in particular we were talking, and my friend Lois, and we were talking how that if a woman is in an abusive relationship with a man or or if it's a child who's being abused by a parent or what have you, even sometimes it's a grandparent being abused by their child, that we're quick to say you need to get out of that re- that relationship. You need to call the authorities. You need to take steps to protect yourself. But when it comes to the church, sometimes we can be, we accept it as norm and we don't realize that we're being abused in the church. And I'm not saying all churches are abusive, but I don't believe God wants us to, to we're supposed to be like sheep. As far as following God and 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 doing what He said, and allowing Him to shepherd us and and cover us, but sometimes we look at individuals. We look to individuals to be our God. We will either worship the individual, the pastor, or the pastor's wife, or the ministry, or the building, or the, the philosophy. Not so much not the Bible as much as the doctrine that's being taught rules and regulations that are set up. We get to worshiping them and we become more like the scribes and the Pharisees where we're more concerned with making sure that people tell the line on the rules and regulations and not the essence of all that the Bible is and what Jesus is wanting us to become. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And uh, that in itself is a big thing because he says, as I follow Christ, follow me. And sometimes we will follow people and they will not be following Jesus. They'll be following everything else, but they will not be following Jesus. And sometimes we don't even realize that they're not. We'll get off into some weird stuff and not realizing it until it's too late or we've lost a lot because we thought what we were doing. Was the right thing? So I want to address some of these things. And you can hit me up on Mitchell 7 at um, Hotmail.com. And let me know whether you're enjoying these or not. But I'd love to hear from you. But one of the things I want to look at is at the beginning how God created us. He created us in his image and his likeness in the book of Genesis. And then one of the things that he wanted us to be was to be individuals. And he created us in freedom. And because of sin, there were certain things that were set up that uh, mankind lost its focus and needed redemption, spirit, soul, mind, will, emotion, physical, and body. And so therefore, there have been a series of things that mankind had to go through in order to for God to get us to, to where Jesus could go to the cross, die for our sins, and, and resurrect, and present his body as a, a final atoning sacrifice for the sins we committed so that we could have a new life. And we are constantly told in the Word of God that we have to renew our mind, renew it by reading the Word. In the book of Hebrews, it Chapter 4 talks about how the Word is a, a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. So we have to constantly, constantly be focused on the Word of God, but not to the point where we, we get off. And sometimes people can get off real quick. When you're looking at, uh, before we can get into that, when you're looking at the Word Abuse, Webster Knicks, Webster's Dictionary calls abuse misuse, to mishandle, exploit, pervert, take advantage of, mistreat, speak in an insulting way, uh, to be cruel and violent, and to be cruel and violent in treatment of an individual. And when you look at those terms, sometimes people are so hungry a new life and, and, the, and the newness that we receive in Jesus Christ, that they automatically assume that those in leadership or around them have their best interests. And, and I'm not saying they don't. A lot of times people do. But you have to be able to realize for yourself when something is detrimental to you and when it's building you up. One of the things I wanted to look at was um, an individual in the Bible that kind of went through that. There's a lot of them, but this one in particular kind of stuck in my mind because when you come out of a situation where you realize you screwed up and you see your whole life the way it is and you're coming to God and you're you believing God to change you, and make everything new. You go under some kind of leadership in the church. You'll either join a church or ministry, and it makes you. It can. You're excited, and you're wanting to learn, and that you get that hunger and that thirst, and that's good. And sometimes there are people, who, and it may not be intentionally. They find an opportunity, and they get so accustomed to using that opportunity that they end up taking advantage of you. And so um, one individual I want to look at in the Bible is Jacob. The Bible talks about Jacob and Esau in the book of Genesis. And so I want to talk about Jacob and how... Jacob was the uh, one of the twins of Isaac, Abraham's son, and how that uh, when it came time for Isaac to have a wife, his father Abraham sent his servant with I think I believe it was eleven camels to uh, his wife's people and. Pandoram, I believe it is, sent him there to find a wife for his son. And the servant said, if I can't find a wife, then what? He said, if you don't find a wife or if you find one and she's not willing to come with you, then what you have to do is you, you let her go. It's in Genesis chapter 29. You, you're you free from the oath that I had you to take. But he made him touch him on the thigh and promised that he would. Bring back a wife for Isaac. He said, whatever you do, don't take Isaac there. Because he knew this. they were living in the promised land. To go back there would be out of the destiny God had for Isaac. So the servant goes and servant prays and asks God to the first young lady that uh, comes to the well and offers to water his camel and give him a drink. Let that be the one God chose. And who comes but Rachel. And she has her sheep and she offers him water and offers to water his camel. And then he realizes God has answered my prayer. So he tells her who he is and where he came from, what his mission was. And she takes him back to his family and she, he meets her brother Laban and Laban and Rachel were the, uh, children of Bethuel, which was, uh, Isaac's wife, Rebecca's brother. So then he tells them his message, what he was there for, and they feed him and they water him, and he gives them gifts, and then he's telling them he's ready to go. And Laban and the others keep delaying, delaying. Finally, the servant says, You know, I, I want to go. I, I need to go. I got to get back. So Laban's like, oh, I'll let her stay and we'll send her later. And he's like, No. You know, I need to take her now. I've got to get back. So so we'll bring her and see what she says. Well, I said, will you go with this man? And she said, I'll go. So I believe it kind of probably freaked her brother out. And so she ends up going and she ends up marrying uh, Isaac. And she ends up having twins, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob... During the birthing process, sticks his hand out, and no, uh, and then Esau comes before him. That's what it was. Jacob sticks his hands out, and is pulled back, and Esau comes out, and so he's the firstborn. And but Jacob comes out with his hands on Esau's heel, so they name him Jacob, and says he's a supplanter, the trickster. And while Jacob's growing up. He's a sheep herder, and his brother's out there. He's a hunter. He lives and likes being out there in the wild hunting, and he's hairy and red. And So Jacob becomes his mother's favorite, and Esau becomes his father's favorite. And God had given his mother a promise when they were in the room that the younger would serve the older. And so the older would serve the younger. And so... Rachel set out to make sure that the baby boy got the blessing. And so when his brother came in and was hungry and wanted something to eat, and Jacob had stew and one thing led to another and Esau said, well, I'll sell you my birthright of the firstborn, you know, because he figured you get the birthright and you get the blessing. Either way it goes, you know, the birthright means nothing doesn't mean nothing to Esau, because he knew he would have the blessings or whatever. He touched whatever his father decreed over him. That was going to be so. So his brother gives him this, the soup, and he eats it, and he gives Jacob the birthright, the firstborn. And so then his mother decides, I want you to have the blessing. It's not enough to have the birthright. So Isaac's eyes are getting bad, and so she he sends his son out to hunt. And while he's hunting, he says, you know, he tells him to bring me back some some stew the way I like it, seasoned the way I like it, hunt it and, and, and get the meat. So he's out hunting and getting the meat. Well, then Rebecca tells him, her, uh, Rachel tells her son, look, Jacob, I want you to dress like your brother and well, I'm going to fix this stew the way he likes it. And you're going to go in and you're going to get the blessing. He's like, he's going to know. She says, no, I'm going to put some skin on you. And his clothes, and you'll smell like him, and your father won't know the difference. One thing leads to another, and Isaac is unsure, as the voice sounded like Jacob, but the smell and the hairiness was Esau, so he gives him the blessing. As soon as Jacob leaves, his brother comes in with his soup, and the father says, well, I already gave the blessing. Who was that? And he said, that was my brother. He's tricked me twice. He tricked me out of the birthright, now he's tricked me out of the blessing. And so he's telling his father, bless me. And his father gives him some type of blessing, but it wasn't the one he gave Jacob. And so then the mother gets concerned because Esau says, when father dies, I'm killing him. It's pure and simple. So she goes to Jacob. I mean, she goes to Isaac and says, look, I don't want him marrying the women around here. Send him to my brother and let him get a wife there. So Isaac figures, well, yeah, that's right. That's what we need to do. So he sends him away. On Jacob's journey, he lays down on some rocks and has a dream, and he sees angels ascending and descending on the ladder from heaven to earth. And he sets this rock aside and, and tells God, you know, if you're going to bless me and let me come back and see my, my family in this land again, I will serve you and, and follow you. So off he goes, and that was his conversion moment. When he gets there, he uh, he sees Rachel. She's at the well, and, and uh, I believe there was a fight with the herdsman or something. Anyway, Jacob helps her water her sheep, and then he tells her who he, she tells him who she is, and he gets so excited he kisses her. He tells her he's a family member. So she takes him home, and he's talking to Laban, and he asks Laban for Rachel's hand. So Laban tells him, yeah, you can have it. And it's seven years' agreement that he would work for Rachel in order to marry her. So he's working and doing all of this stuff. Meanwhile, Rachel has older sister, Leah, So when the seven years is up, Leah's still unmarried. And so Laban figures, hmm, we'll have the ceremony and then we'll do a switcheroo. So they have the ceremony. She's veiled. She goes in and spends the night with Jacob. He wakes up the next morning and realizes it's Leah. So then he goes, and he's upset, and he talks to Laban. He gave me the wrong wife. And Laban comes up with an excuse. Well, in our country, that's what the oldest one has to be uh, married first. So if you serve another seven years, I give you the sister. So he serves another seven years. And then uh, has children by Leah and all the while, he's working for Rachel, and when the seven years is up, he gets to marry Rachel. So then he ends up working more, and then Laban talks him into working another seven years. And so all this time, he's working and working, and he's seeing that things are not exactly right. So then he has a dream. Angel of the Lord speaks to him and tells him, All the spotted and speckled shows him a pole and all these rams and lambs and goats that go down to drink that see this spotted and speckled, this striped pole come spotted and speckled. So he tells Laban, you know, Laban says, it's not good for you to work like and I give you something. So he says, all the speckled and spotled, spotted ones you give me, those will be mine and everything else will be yours. Well, of course, Laban's sons and stuff, they remove all the speckled and spotted so when they go down to drink at the water, that's when Jacob does what the angels showed him in the dream, and he stripes these poles, and they can, when the animals start having their babies, they come out speckled, speckled and spotted. So all the strong, healthy uh, goats, and rams, and lambs, and stuff, he was, he was taking them down there and showing them the, speckled and spot, the, the striped poles, so that they would have speckled, speckled and spotted children. To make a long story short, he ended up with more than Laban did, which angered Laban and his sons. And so Jacob kind of feared for his life and that of his family, so he decided to take them and leave. Well, he leaves and Laban finds out several days later that he's left with his with his entourage of family and his animals and servants and Laban gets mad when he and his sons follow after him. But God warns Laban, watch what you say to him. So Laban catches up with him and tells him that someone had stolen his idols, which it was uh, Jacob's wife. Rachel had stolen the items and she was sitting on them. Laban never found them. And Jacob said, whoever's got them, you know, you can kill them. Because they shouldn't have taken them, but I don't steal anything from you. Nobody's taking anything from me. And when they couldn't find them, then Jacob just unleashed on them. He said, you've changed my wages seven times. And I work for you, and I was honest to you, and this is how you repay me. And Laban's saying, everything you've got belongs to me. These children are mine. The cattle is mine. But God has told me not to touch you. So they ended up having a meal. And that's where, in some churches, you hear this, may the Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent one from another. That's where that came from, because that was something that uh, Laban said to him. And Laban made him promise that he would not harm his children, grandchildren, wives, and what have you. And Laban kissed them all and left. Now, when it comes back to church, there are times when we become a part of a ministry and we have, we have grown, and God changes our vision because a lot of the times, maybe part of it, a ministry, but that doesn't mean that that's your ministry. Each individual has their own, whether you're a preacher or not, you've got something God wants you to do. That's why I say ministry. And we're like Jacob. We're, we're, we came out of tough experiences in, in the streets and in, in the world, and we're in the church, and the church is like, family, it's family, and we're, they're like, and you have a lab in there sometimes that sees that God's hand's are on you. And they will push you out and have you working. Uh, there was one individual in particular I remember in my as a young Christian uh, adult, and uh, the brother could quote the Bible. He was going out, he was preaching, he was doing good, but he was wanting to teach a class, and and uh, the pastor said, no, you're not ready. 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 You're not. And constantly. And he was growing anxious, and the pastor didn't want home Bible studies. No, all Bible studies got to be here. You got to be here. You got to go through, you know. And he was like, I've been saved a long time. I had talked to him him and his wife because we were all young at the time. And he was like, I'm really getting frustrated with this because I'm not allowed to grow And they basically sat on the individual. He just got frustrated and and left. And uh, I remember there was a statement made, well, he didn't leave without the blessing, so he's not gonna stay saved. And we have to be careful what we say about people because we can set them on a track. That's not God's will. God didn't have them say that. If anything, the Holy Spirit will be wanting them to pray that God keep them and guide them we are to encourage each other and, and and allow them to grow, but there are some individuals that get scared of your growth, so they want to hold on to you so tight because they're afraid you may outgrow them and you may do more than them, or through jealousy. I mean, there have been a lot of instances where you, you find the Laban kind of spirit where I'll never forget, um, it was a time my mother and I had had, had grown enough to. it was time to move on and go to another church, the same church. And I had watched periodically through the years where individuals had left and they would say, well, they're not going to stay safe because they didn't stay at this church. And I kept thinking, mm. and then when it came time for us to go, one of the reasons was because I was teaching uh, – the teenagers and I had some who were one young lady. I noticed a change in her. She vanished for a year and then she came back and I noticed the change and I kept telling them there's something going on. Uh, it's almost like an, there's an abuse. I don't know what's going on, but she she acts like a kid that's been molested or something. And they kept telling me it's all in your head. And uh, we found out later on that she had been being molested and it was, you know, and then there was another kid who was selling drugs and ended up getting killed. Parents were in the church. And then there was another young lady who had gotten killed because she was dating somebody, a drug dealer, and she messed up his money. And So she took her kids and sent them where they would be safe and he, he killed her. And her mother found her several days later. And I was frustrated because as a teacher, these were my kids, you know. And I didn't know what to do, how to reach them. And I'm like, and so I saw where other ministries outside of ours, and, I, and I'm talking about a this was a, a black church because I'm African American, and I know it's going on in all churches. It's not just the black churches, but this one particular. So I went over to a church that had people of different races, and the pastor just happened to be. A white pastor, and he had a lot of people that were coming through, and I would go over there to hear the different speakers and stuff. And I ran across a member that had left; I hadn't seen her, and her son, who used to be in my Sunday school class. And so I started talking to her, and she said, "One is like this." She said, "He was getting into trouble. I'm a single mom. I didn't know what to do, and somebody had suggested I bring him here for counseling." She said, and the counselors listened and they talked to him and they dealt with him, and she said. He did a whole 360. And he said, Mom, I don't want to go back there. I want to stay here. She said, he's on the honor roll now, totally different kid. You know, he's smiling, he's happy. She said, I'm sorry, I left for my son. And so I said, you know what? I went back and I talked to them and I said, I, want to, I will continue to teach, but I want to go over there because their services is early. to their first service and then I can make ours at 11 you know, but I I need to see what they're doing with their young people because they're doing something we're not. And I got told that that was heresy. I couldn't go there and be a member. And I just got tired. I'm like, you know what? I got relatives here and they're young and I got to figure out what's going on. I need to see something. So I said, okay, I want to be back. So then they called a meeting and they wanted us to come to the meeting. My mother and sisters went, I didn't go. I decided I was baking bread because I've already told them. And so they called me and told me, you know, you need to be there. Like, no, there's nothing to say. I said, I told the pastor, you told me I couldn't be here and go there for services to find out what's going on, what they're doing that we're not doing. So he's like, no, you can't. I said, well, then you've answered the question. I'm, I'm not coming back. Yeah. But do you realize that you, you won't be a member of the church? You can't yeah. Well, sister, you're going against because the Lord has not released you. So let me explain something to you. I was say while I came here. I walked in those doors. A 20 year old kid. I'm walking out a 28 year old woman. And you can say whatever you want to say. You say if I come there, I, I, if I go there, I can't be that. My member. If I'm a member, I can't go there. Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm going there. So I won't be. Well, he said, well, what's your decision? I said, I'm not a member. So I'm just, I'm telling you right now, I'm writing my little letter, I'm moving on and that's it. And so one of the neighbors that we had, nice little lady, she would ride to church with us. She became like a family member because of uh, my decision to go to another church to learn. He basically told her, you can't talk to them. Continuing on with flakes, fakes, and foolishness. Anyway, the <clears throat> the labor lady, my neighbor, she had to bring back everything that we have given her, and she couldn't talk to us anymore. And I thought that was sad because this was a lady who had was on disability, only got a certain amount of money, and a lot of her money she was buying insurance policies for member, uh, the ministry children and was doing without eating. Sometimes she'd just have sugar and water. And so we kind of took her under her wing and whatever we had we shared with her and stuff, but she wasn't allowed to come over for the holidays. Either they picked her up or she sat at home. And uh, I, I thought, you know, this is sad. Something, it kind of hurt it. It hurt me. But then I realized, you know what? That's her choice. She's choosing to go along with them. I'm not, so I'm gonna let her ride. So, um, and then I realized, just in studying the word, you know, people said, I some members from the, that church say, well, you know, Pastor said you're not going. I said, look, the same guy that kept me before I moved to that town. It's going to keep it's keeping me while I'm there and will keep me when I leave that church and go to the other. So it's just one of those things where you've you got to realize if you're in this type of predicament that um, God's got you back. And the scripture tells us that uh, 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7. It talks about individuals having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So, you know, that there would be evil men and imposters in the last days. So, we have to be sure about our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not the relationship with the building, but it's our relationship with Jesus Christ. At uh, one church, I'll never forget, there was a mother loved this lady, loved her dearly. And she would tell me, because I was always at the church working and seven days a week, and she would say, baby, do you ever take a break? You hear all the time, day and night. And I'd say, yes, ma'am. She's just like, Lord, baby, I'm gonna pray for you. And so not too long after that, our car broke. I could catch the bus down in the daytime, but I had to just the bus back early because there was no bus going out, living into the county. And uh, that happened for about a month. I could only go, I think it was Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, and and that was it. And so when the month was up, we got the car fixed, and we were back going to church. And she said, I haven't seen you for a while. I said, well, no, ma'am, my car broke, so we weren't able to come to the services for about a month. She said, thank the praise the Lord, and I'm like, huh? She said, he answered my prayer because I asked the Lord to teach you. You've been coming here worshiping this building. Church is you. You don't have to be here every time the doors are open. She said, so he answered my prayer and he showed you. You're the church. And we have to get our relationship right because sometimes we get so caught up in doctrines and whether or not to eat meat or not eat meat, whether or not to wear dresses and and not wear pants or wear pants. You can wear pants and it's okay. Whether or not to wear makeup or not wear makeup, have your hair done a certain way or not. And we get into all these things and we forget that it's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Those things are not as important as we think they are. And some people may be led, they feel led, to not wear pants. That's good. That's your choice. But you can't throw that on anybody else who does. Or they may feel led not to wear makeup. And you can't discriminate discriminate against those that do. They may go get their hair done. You may not want to. You can't discriminate. And that's the thing. I run across a lot of people who even on social media uh, there was a comment, a relative of mine. He posts different things, and he's part of a religious group. I don't fully understand it yet, because I, but it's basically where the men are—all men leadership. I think is what it is, and but that's him, and you know, I'm just glad he's got his Bible. He's got a relationship with Jesus. So I, that's him. And he posts things sometimes and it's kind of controversial and people get to argue and I state their points. And, and uh, I stated a point and a guy got a little upset and then he made the, uh, with me and another lady, and then he made the, the uh, comment that uh, my cousin should, that I should shut my mouth and let my cousin teach me. I don't have a right to say anything to a man. And I I was like, and I commented that my cousin needs to explain to him that uh, that's not how our family is. Women are very vocal. So he kind of really got nasty with it. And so my cousin had to tell him, look, you know, the women in my family are, they have have their opinion, and they're going to give their opinion. And I allow anybody from any kind of religious belief, to say any to, to, to reply, and you don't talk to women that way. That's not how we do. So we end up having to unfriend the guy. I blocked him because he didn't like what I had to say. He said I had a ghetto attitude. So but sometimes we can get off. People get off. Don't let that hinder you. Keep your relationship with Jesus as your primary focus and not center so much on people. We're going to go into this in depth some more, but I'm going to get off now. This is Cree Mitchell saying, I love you. God bless you. Like I said, hit me up, Mitchell, 7 at Hotmail.com. Thanks.